That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Obscurities. I'm Debbie Rashawn. Have you ever seen a show where a character develops amnesia and can no longer recall critical events in their life? Or you may have seen the movie Memento, for example, which dives into this phenomena. Well, that's the thing. I have this condition. A condition? It's my memory. Amnesia? No, 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 no. It's different from that. I have no short-term memory. I know who I am. I know all about myself. I just, since my injury, I can't make new memories. Artistic works like these can spark interesting conversations about if our memories are the most crucial component of what makes us who we are. When diving into this topic, the question remains, can such circumstances actually happen in real life? Craig Williamson would say that he is living proof that they can. Craig's story begins in the fall of 1990. Craig was single at the time, divorced from his first wife, and in search of inner peace. His search likely led him to Port Townsend, Washington, to join a group he never met prior for a sweat lodge retreat. Sweat lodges date back to the Native Americans, and a belief in sweating out toxins for spiritual growth and various health purposes. These dome-like shaped structures created for such ceremonies give similar effects to a sauna, though they are, in some cases, more powerful. Diving into the unknown, he wasn't sure what he would find there, but it turned out to be love. At the lodge, he would meet Christine Reinhardt. Christine was 41, five years his junior, and also a divorcee. During the retreat, they would meditate together, explore their spirituality, and connect on a deeper level than they'd ever felt before. Naturally, they would continue to date following the getaway. Craig had such an overwhelming feeling that he had finally found the love of his life that only after a month into their relationship, he felt entirely committed to Christine. He asked for her hand in marriage. Without hesitation, Christine said yes, and they had a beautiful ceremony in nature, captured on film, and in the clip scene while researching this piece, you can truly see a deep infatuation on both of their faces. Craig had a love of the ocean and shared his dream job with Christine of becoming a fish farmer, harvesting exotic fish to high-end restaurants. At the time, tilapia was not wildly popular. It wasn't until the years that followed that it would become one of the top consumed fish in America. 
Craig saw himself ahead of the curve and looked into acquiring these fish, indigenous to Africa, and what it would take to create a successful business. Neither Christine nor Craig were tied to a career, and when Christine let her husband know of a plot of land now available in Wisconsin, he jumped at the opportunity to get his business idea off the ground with her there. Christine loved the idea, and her parents tipped her off on the land being for sale. It would be exciting for Christine to live near her parents. Christine's parents were also happy about this, exemplified by their lending a generous $160,000 to start the business. The couple borrowed an additional $255,000 from the bank and also had $80,000 of their own saved up, totaling nearly half a million dollars to get their tilapia farm started. They would begin the endeavor by buying massive fish tanks that would take up plenty of space to raise hundreds of tilapia to sell to the finest dining establishments. They would make business contacts with people around the country in hopes of lucrative deals and even purchase a school bus, which they would convert to lug around these enormous containers for the fish. While getting the business off the ground, Craig suffered a concussion. Christine was worried about her husband in the following days and weeks. Craig was never one to complain, despite his issues of headaches and blurred vision, but he did not want to delay his upcoming trip to Alamosa, Colorado. There was a woman in the region with whom he had a business deal, and to make it happen, he needed to make a long drive in their bus to haul tanks and various equipment. Although Christine was hesitant to agree to him making the trek while she stayed home, she would reluctantly give him her blessing as long as he stayed in touch while on the road to ease any of her worries. On August 27, 1993, Craig loaded the school bus and set out on the long haul to Colorado. He brought $2,500 to purchase materials from the woman in Colorado, including backup generators. Once Craig got to Colorado, he also needed to rent a car so that he could meet for business as well as make stops for food and anything else without having to drive a bus full of fish farming materials everywhere he went. Craig stayed at a motel in Colorado Springs in room 112, and upon arrival, he'd call Christine to let her know that all was well. He also asked a favor. If she could call his room and wake him up the following morning so he wouldn't be late for his important business meeting, she agreed to do so. But that very next morning when she called, no one answered the phone, which was unlike Craig, especially since he had requested the call. Immediately, Christine sensed that something was very wrong. She called the motel operator but they had no sense of strange behavior going on with the occupant in room 112. When they went out to inspect, Craig's rental car was nowhere to be found, but the massive bus was in the lot. Upon looking a little deeper, however, once contacting the police, most of Craig's belongings were gone, and no tanks, fish, or generators were to be found inside the bus. 
The police did, however, find trimmings from Craig Williamson's beard inside the motel room. Interesting. Police would embark on a massive search and alert police stations throughout the U.S. of the situation. Time was of the essence in an investigation of this magnitude. Within a 24-hour window, Craig's credit cards were found sitting on a grocery store shelf all the way out in El Paso, Texas. Next, the rental car was found over the border in Juarez, Mexico. Christine had an eerie feeling about what had happened. She believed that while entering his rental car by the hotel, her husband had been hit from behind, mugged, and suffered significant brain damage, compounded by his existing concussion. Christine wasn't sure who went off in the rental car, but she knew that Craig would not just leave the bus behind. It was crucial to their business. On September 14, 1993, she visited the hotel on her own and posted flyers everywhere possible, making people aware of her husband's disappearance. It was during this search for Craig that she would make contact with a woman by the name of Judy Inman, a retired nurse taking the Amtrak train from Montana to Denver, Colorado. She was positive she had made previous contact with Christine's husband. She remembered a man of his exact appearance wandering aimlessly throughout the train in the late hours as passengers tried to sleep. He was incoherently rambling about fish tanks, but Judy had no idea what to make of it. Two drunk men started laughing at the man and mocking him as he continued his nonsensical rant. As a retired nurse, Judy was sure of this much. The man walking around was neither drunk nor a special needs adult. His actions were that of a person after experiencing a severe brain injury, just as Christine had suspected. Judy's confirmation was enough for Christine to feel validated in her search. She would speak to any news station that would listen about her theory on why Craig Williamson was missing and that she needed all the help she could get in finding him. She would meet with Judy in person, who relayed that Craig had gotten off the Wishram Washington stop of the train. Christine would embark on a search that paralleled the Amtrak train from there. Police, on the other hand, were far from convinced. The perfectly trimmed beard clippings in the room, the bizarre locations of the found belongings, a story of a rushed marriage, the enormous debt accrued by Craig Williamson were textbook examples of a man purposely running away, changing his appearance, and trying to throw off investigators from their perspective. Officers were also not happy with Christine and would warn her that her separate search of Craig was compromising their own investigation and that if she didn't cut it out, they would end their search altogether. However, Christine didn't back down and continued to tell her story to anyone who would listen. In May of 1994, nearly a year after Craig's disappearance, Christine was still embarking on her search, and her story would gain the attention of the hit show, Unsolved Mysteries. 
Christine Williamson and Judy Inman would appear on the program and give their accounts of what they knew. The camera crew would film the motel and the surrounding area with Christine and give audience members a tip line to relay any possible information. The show would air several times and over 100 tips had been generated after its initial airings. Unfortunately, nothing led to Craig. Sadly, Christine was forced to put the property up for sale and move. Over one year later, the show would air again. But this time, a bombshell would reveal itself. Craig was alive, and he managed to get Christine's number. Hello? He told a bizarre story of waking up in a Colorado hospital with a wristband reading the name Ron. Craig claimed he had lost nearly all memory, as Christine suspected, not even remembering his name. Craig saw the episode of Unsolved Mysteries and said he remembered a story identical to hers of being mugged, though he suspected it had taken place at a bar or a convenience store on the night of August 30, 1993. She would learn that Craig would put back what he could of his life and go by the full name of Craig Ron Williamson. Not much different from his birth name of Craig Dwight Williamson. He was now in Florida and working as a diver, still clearly fascinated with the ocean. It had now been two years since the couple had any contact. During the phone call, Craig apologized for any harm he had caused Christine, and they agreed to meet. When they met, however, the magic was not there. Craig claimed that he couldn't remember anything about her, and though he felt sorry, he was no longer the same person she had once loved. They agreed to remain friends, but they would officially divorce upon meeting again. I'm sure as you're hearing this, the conclusion of this story sounds downright bizarre. So, can someone truly have amnesia of this magnitude leading to a story this inconceivable? Experts in the field of traumatic brain injury say it's improbable. To them, Craig's story sounds more like something out of a movie rather than the more subtle issues they've seen in their patients. Investigators weren't as understanding as Craig's now ex-wife and were furious at his actions, leading to a search costing taxpayers over $12,000. Police believed Craig had now confirmed their theory of a man running away and starting anew. To those investigators, Craig Williamson's unbelievable selfishness wasted precious resources and time and left his supposed loved one with a mountain of debt to take care of on her own. If that's the case, what made Craig reach out after two years of his wife being worried sick? Perhaps guilt, or maybe fear that his ruse would soon be up after gaining the attention of a nationwide audience. It makes you wonder how much differently this story would have played out today as opposed to when it did during the early 90s. With cell phones, GPS tracking, and more widespread security cameras, it's fair to think Craig's whereabouts wouldn't be quite as unknown. Either way, 
Craig would go off to live with his friends in California, following the reunion of sorts, and Christine would move around the Wyoming region, staying close to family. And if you do some digging online, it appears that Christine would remarry a third time, tying the knot with firearms author Herbert House in 1996. Sadly, House passed away in 2019 at the age of 72. It appears that Christine still lives in Wyoming, and though our staff here at Obscurities tried reaching her for comment on if she still believes her ex-husband's story, we did not receive a response. As for Craig Williamson, he has never acted on having the police investigate his supposed assault. 